0: Empire
1: Call the fake news the enemy of the people and they are It's a serious question I, I appreciate your passion, I share it I've addressed this question, I've addressed my personal feelings and I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, adventures and reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, and welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam. And once again, we have with us uh, uh, Michael Zeldin, Michael, who's a... Uh, um, often seen on CNN, a former federal, did time in the federal system as a prosecutor and, uh, well, more importantly for all of us, a rock and roll aficionado. But we're not here to talk about rock and roll. When we get back from the break, what we're going to talk about is an impeachment wrap up and a little bit of Roger Stone. So sit around and relax and we'll be right back. Hi, and once again, thanks for joining us. I am Brian Caram, and this is Just Ask the Question. And our guest today is Michael Zeldin. And, Michael, I guess I'm going to start out just asking this question. I read today that, um, and I believe it was George Conway who said, that uh, they may have to impeach Donald Trump once again. Do you see that as a possibility?
0: Not on the present evidence. they would have yeah. to be something substantially different and much worse, like a, like the commission of a felony, because otherwise, while double jeopardy concepts don't apply here, double jeopardy being if you're acquitted in a criminal trial, you can't be retried for the exact same thing, again, no two bites at the apple. In impeachment, that really is not the case. There is nothing that prohibits it, because it's not a criminal justice matter. It's an ethics sort of breach of public
1: trust. But it would reach be of kind public of silly, trust. wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, it would be politically silly and, suicide um, i just don't see it happening so, so absent let's... something as i said at brian absent something new new so and substantially new and so
1: and yeah and substantially well we've already proven that you know you can do quite a bit and get away with it but let's talk about that the fallout from the impeachment um some have said it's emboldened trump that it gives him carte blanche to do as he wants and that uh, the separation of powers are now dissolved, and the, and the presidency is much more powerful because of what happened in impeachment. And I'd like to get your thoughts on all of that. And if we can unpack it, starting out with, do you think it's emboldened him, and do you think it's uh, weakened Congress?
0: Yes and yes. I think it's clear that it's emboldened him, because what did he do right after the acquittal? He released from the White House and removed from the Foreign Service, the two witnesses who testified against him, Vidman, Lieutenant Colonel Vidman, who said that the transcript, so-called transcript wasn't fully accurate and that um, what the president was doing was alarming. And Sondland, the ambassador to the European Union, an appointee by Trump, was removed His testimony was that, yes, in fact, there was a quid pro quo between Trump and Zelensky for a White House meeting. So the first things that he does after Susan Collins and Senator Ernst thought that he would learn a lesson was he learned to completely opposite. Lesson. Well, he learned a lesson. Right. It just wasn't the lesson <laughs> well, that anyone was expecting. He, right. Which was, I, I can, you know, to use his famous line, kill somebody on Fifth Avenue and get away with it. Um, he, he, that's how he interpreted it. So yes, I think it is emboldening of him. And two, consequently, it is disenfranchising of the Senate and its oversight responsibilities. And the thing that struck me during the Senate um, testimony there wasn't really In any testimony. It was, no, was presentation, <laughs> yeah, um, and then and then um, follow-on vote was how willing the Republican majority was to cede its oversight responsibilities to the president, and that is that was disheartening. It it was surprising as well. I mean, you'd think that one of the things that they would want to protect is their constitutional prerogatives as a separate and equal branch of government to ensure that they have, you know, the separate and equal powers, but they seem not so concerned about that in the case of this president. What do you think the fallout will be? Well, I think that the president will continue to behave as we see the president has behaved in the past uh, three years. I think that if he's reelected, that he will be even more um, vindictive and um, there'll be purges throughout the government. Uh, I think that it's a very scary proposition, a unbridled Trump. I mean, in this first term, he at least had, you know, some governor on his behavior, which was his desire to be reelected. Now, um, although he talks about being president for Life for life, um, <laughs> yeah. that's not going to happen. I wouldn't think. Well, but, but you know, you never know with these Republican senators, <laughs> right? But, um, <laughs> but but seriously, um, without the check of having to run for re-election, goodness knows what behavior we'll see um, from this president. There have been, and, and I I'll
1: go back to the um, the I guess it was on Friday when he had the celebration in the East Room, um, both. Uh, uh, a candidate for President Walsh and uh, I think Mitt Romney and a few others in the GOP say that what they saw there was the president of the United States um, sacrificing and and diminishing the, the GOP. And he's now the head of a personality cult.
0: Well, you know, that. Those sort of subjective observations are, you know, left to each individual. But what is clear is what we just said, which is that the president feels emboldened. The Senate has been neutered in substantial uh, form by their own inactions. And uh, I think that it will, you know, redound to the detriment of our democracy, generally speaking, and take a long time to repair.
1: So I've. I, that's leads me to the other question. I've asked you on occasion, are we in a constitutional crisis? I guess that is a moot point. What I'm now asking is, (laughs) is the Republican crisis?
0: Well, our values are being challenged. There's no question but that the President of the United States challenges every day the core values upon which we were um, founded. And the question will be, what sort of checks will anyone, Senate, American people, House of Representatives, courts impose on that because left to his own devices, there seems to be nothing he is unwilling to do if it serves his view of his best interests.
1: And let's take Trump out of it for a second. What if we're just talking about, I guess, uh, anyone else with this precedent, suppose there was a um, a far left Uh, candidate who became president, who then wanted to could look at Donald Trump and say, well, hey, he did it. I can do it. Isn't that a a real concern for this? Are we not seeing our
0: nose despite our face? Well, one can hope that Trump is an aberration and that whether your politics are on the left or on the right, that you behave within sort of constitutional norms. So you take Ronald Reagan, whose politics, to my politics, were on the far right. He behaved within constitutional norms, generally speaking. He had Iran-Contra, which was problematic. George Bush, whose politics are on the far right, as far as I was concerned, generally speaking, behaved within norms of of constitutional um, precedent. And so I think that Trump hopefully is... Just as they say in law, sui, gener- sui generis, one of a kind. That we'll never see. Hopefully, we'll never Did see anyone like. You say sui like, generous? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's S U I. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I just heard so, what I wanted to hear. I confess.
0: <laughs> uh, we've never really had a leftist president, so no, no one knows oh, what um, that would be. What, what, what you know, type of behavior that would would um, um, would what, 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 would follow from that behavior. But again, I, I tend to be optimistic. That whether your politics are far left, far right, somewhere in the center, that you understand the structure of our government and that you behave within its norms and that this guy is just an aberration. And that hopefully, while senators have given up some of their powers and the president seems emboldened by his powers, that whoever replaces Trump will not follow his playbook.
1: You say you hope it's an aberration. Is there anything the average citizen or Congress, you know, the Senate or the House could do to ensure that it's an aberration?
0: Not this Congress. I
1: I like the way you said that.
0: (laughs) I mean, I I suppose there are things that could be thought about, um, but they would most likely require some form of constitutional amendments. And, you know, again, I am one who was very reluctant to open up the Constitution for you know, tink, for tinkering, given right. you know, given the politics of of the of the day, um, <laughs> God knows what they would do to um, Jefferson, yeah. <laughs> Hamilton's view of um, well behavior. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I can only imagine. Um, and in fact, I don't want to.
0: Well, I mean, when you think that that it's an aside and it's sort of <clears throat> snarky in a way, but if you think that. The President of the United States gave the Medal of Freedom to Rush Limbaugh. And you read what Rush Limbaugh has said about sort of our democracy and the manner in which the government should function and the roles of people within that and his, you know, um, points of view, which are are should be outliers, though I know he has a big following, but his points of view yeah. um, are so undemocratic and 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 so wrong in my view, that when a person like him receives the uh, highest civilian medal in the United States government, it it just says volumes about the way this president and the, I guess, the Senate majority who went there for the award ceremony, uh, standing next to a testiki earman earman, who should have received it. (laughs) it, it just, it causes you to blink and wonder what is going on.
1: Well, I think it's just a—it's cheapened, of course, and it's like a participation medal or a medal of popularity for the president. That's—I mean, if you think of the people who have gotten that award in the past, I think Maya Angelou got it. It's—it's kind of hard for me to to see Rush Limbaugh, who has denigrated uh, a great many people and is a bit of a racist. That's saying it lightly. Going forward, what do you see happening if? Donald Trump is reelected.
0: Well, what we said um, a moment ago was that there'll be um, palace purges. Anyone who he thinks is not with him, I think, will be banished um, from the kingdom. He'll be surrounded as a consequence by yes people, which in any sort of organization is a terrible thing to be surrounded by, unless you are, you know, um, extremely confident in the wisdom of your judgment, which the president... Well, know, the president is definitely his, is that. He's a stable genius. There's no question that um, <laughs> he has, you know, the greatest amount of confidence in himself. However, we know that decision-making in times of crisis have to be collaborations. Ultimately, the president has to make the final decision. Right, But you need collaboration of varying points of view to help you reach your final decision. And if you're only surrounded by people who tell you what you want to hear then you don't get that benefit and then your decisions have the potential the huge potential of being to be disastrous wrong. yeah, yeah. And, and that's the and that's the that from a national security standpoint that's a very frightening proposition
1: yeah and the bigger the problem the larger the problem and the larger the consequence the larger that disaster could be
0: yeah they call it the situation room so they can house multiple people. It's not the situation booth for you to sit there, you know, alone. And um, if the people in that situation room are just saying, you know, yes, Mr. President, yes, Mr. President, yes, Mr. President, then what good is it and how much does it jeopardize our well-being? And that, I think, Brian, is a, you know, an understatement of the, of the risks that a second term presents uh, uh, to me.
1: Now, those who love him say you're just you're a never trumper, and you don't get what a great guy he is.
0: No, it's not a matter of, it's really not a matter of the policy decisions he has made in the past. I disagree with some. Some I think are are less bad. Um, I'm talking about a process by which the president is informed so that he can make the 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 interest a decision that's in the best interest of the United States. It's not so much a matter of what decision he makes, but what is the process by which he gathers information to make in his determination the best decision. And I think that the risk is that he will purge from the government those people who are not saying things that he exactly wants to hear, and that will undermine the intelligence that he will gather, and therefore potentially undermine the decision that he ultimately has to make, which could then undermine United States national security. So it's a process. It's not so much, was it right to leave Syria or wrong to leave Syria? Did he abandon the curbs or not abandon the curbs? Should he have um, killed Solomon or not killed him? It's not the ultimate decision. It's what information did you get? How did you get to the decision? Exactly. The process you take getting there. That's right. And without countervailing points He took points the road of- less traveled. <laughs> <laughs> right without those countervailing decision those countervailing points of view, I just worry about how robust the thought process will be that leads to that ultimate decision. And if he makes a terrible mistake because he thinks that bombing Iran um, nuclear facilities or invading North Korea or something like that, is the right thing to do, and no one told him otherwise, Oh, you know, God bless. Right.
1: God bless all of us. Uh, We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about something that happened today and which may also uh, be uh, kind of uh, a result of of, uh, (laughs) being acquitted, and and it's a decision that affects someone that uh, is going to go to jail, or maybe not. So when we come back, more with Michael Zeldin. Stay tuned. And we're back. Uh, Michael, I'm going to talk a little bit or ask you and and correct me if I'm wrong, but today um, the Justice Department had come out and recommended a nine year sentence for Roger Stone. President uh, Trump tweeted that, you know, that should be looked over and that was a horrible decision. And then within an hour or so, the Justice Department backed off. And now they're not recommending nine years for Roger Stone. Uh, you think this was uh, undue
0: influence by the president, or was it uh, copacetic and everything's okay? Well, we don't know is the answer. So let's, let's sort of see the timeline a little bit um, more carefully um, stratified as information is just coming in. The um, prosecutor on the, on the case um, made a team decision based on the evidence that was presented at trial that consistent with the sentencing guidelines, a recommendation to the judge who ultimately will make her own decision about what sentence to give Stone was seven to nine years. That seven to nine year recommendation was constituted of the crimes of lying and destroying evidence and witness tampering.
1: Not to mention he's got a Nixon tattoo on his back. That should get him 10 years already, but never mind.
0: (laughs) That's that's sorry. And and he posted a photo of the judge with yeah, that's, some crosshair yeah. um, symbol uh, yeah. near her. But leave that aside. Yeah, they, well, <coughs> those, those are just jokes, but leave it aside. So the prosecutors review the evidence. They look at the sentencing guidelines, which is a mathematical sort of equation. And they say to the court in their sentencing memorandum that they'll thought seven to nine years was the appropriate sentencing range for the judge to um, consider. Probation will make its own um, recommendation and the defense attorneys obviously will submit their own recommendations. When I heard last night that it was a seven- to nine-year recommendation for Stone, my immediate reaction was, that's harsh, that that's a long time for for this type of crime. And I was a little bit surprised by it. So my immediate reaction was, that's a long sentence. So what, what has happened since? The U.S. Attorney's Office files the... Seven to nine recommendation. Apparently, main justice, so this was done in the United States Attorney's Office in the District of Columbia. Apparently, main justice, who um, claims not to have been fully involved in the sentencing memorandum decision, says it's going to take a a review of the recommendation independent of the U.S. Attorney's Office. After that, Trump tweets that this was an inappropriate recommendation that really all the crimes were done by, you know, the Democrats. And and that Roger Stone is, you know, a victim and not a not a criminal. And so you've got that despite everything. And now But wait, but but so you have so what's tricky about the timeline is did Maine Justice not get fully informed of the seven to nine year recommendation? When they did get that recommendation, did they um, for the very first time, say, "Wait a second, wait a second, this is not right and then it just it just is coincidental that the president does the tweet, or does the tweet promote the Justice Department to take a look at this case we We just don 't know that what we do know though <clears throat> is that the justice Department said it is going to look at it again, and there 'll probably be a new submission and the the prosecutor um I, I want to think his name is Andrew. It's like it's like Zelensky. It's yeah. It's, um, who was a, a Mueller prosecutor out of I think Virginia U.S. Attorney's Office has resigned from the case um, in the last few minutes in You're the right. aftermath of of this. So let me let me and ask. So you. so there's a lot to sort of be. There, there are a lot of facts that still have to come forward. But on a pure appearance basis, until we know all of the right. facts, on a pure appearance basis, it sure looks like the political politicalization of a criminal case. A, a criminal case that should not be politicized.
1: So, two questions spring to mind. One is a Why did you think it was a harsh sentence? What do you think it should have been? And two, when the president says uh, the crime was committed by the Democrats, could we go over what actually? Stone was convicted for. Let's start there. What, what did Stone do that got
0: him uh, uh, convicted? He lied to Congress about um, the activities between him and uh, WikiLeaks to receive information about um, the breach of the servers in the DNC and the release of Hillary Clinton's uh, emails the Russia, if you're listening, stuff. Right. They say Stone was um, intimately involved in in that. That he um, may have and just. And he was found guilty. He was found guilty of lying to Congress about his knowledge of that. But he didn't he, plead out. He was found. No, he went to trial. Yeah. Yeah. He went to trial. He was um, found guilty, I think, of um, tampering with evidence that they were looking for that that might help shed light on this uh, WikiLeaks. Uh, scheme. And then most importantly, from a sentencing standpoint, he was um, convicted of witness tampering, that is trying to convince this fellow, Randy Credico, from testifying. Remember, there's that famous part of the um, uh, information that was seized from Stone, where Stone is telling Credico he wants him to behave like the uh, witness in *The Godfather* by not all of a sudden remembering anything. <laughs> Remember, he says, yeah. "I can never pronounce the guy's name. It's Frank Pant- Pangelico." Yeah. He said, Frankie Angels." He <laughs> said, "You should, you should, you know, essentially Pantangelo." Pantangelo. Yeah. You should do that. Yeah. And that, you know, was was witness tampering, and that's what gets him under the sentencing guidelines so, the longest amount of time. So that's what he's that's what he's convicted of. But what,
1: what? did – right, to interject there, why did the president – what was the president referring to when he said the Democrats
0: actually did the
1: crime well, and that
0: Stone was a victim? I think his line was something like the uh, – all the bad activity was done on the other side. Right, right, The other side. Well, and I just assumed that to be the Democrats, yeah, that's the DNC, yeah, yeah. the Clint, Clinton herself, you know, so the Ukrainian. Okay. So, it, so it it's basically okay. – Witness tampering is okay well what what he, yeah, I suppose what he is saying is that Roger Stone, like him, the president, is the victim of Circumstance. Of, of, a, of a hoax <laughs> yeah. um and that the real bad actors, and that's why Giuliani is out there every day trying to get to the truth he and you know o j Simpson are looking for the real Those killers. Criminal. <laughs> um and, I wonder if he'll end up like O.J. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, they um, But there is no I mean when you look at the
1: <clears throat> at what the president said and what Roger Stone did, I look at that tweet, I look at the statements, and I go, look, you can say, hey, I think it was too harsh a sentence, but to say that Roger Stone was not guilty, I mean he was found guilty. The president doesn't get to decide the guilt and innocence of people, that's that's left to the court system. Right. So it looks like you're trying to once again undermine some of the foundations of the Republic. Well, it's it's frustrating and
0: frightening. And you asked the question before the break, what do we expect to see in a second Trump term? And I would be very surprised if we didn't see pardons of the people that were involved in the Mueller investigation, the Manaforts, and if Flynn gets convicted and sent—well, he's been pleaded guilty. He wants right. to undo his guilty plea at hunted. the moment. But those people who—especially um, the Manaforts and the Stones who you know didn't testify, if you will, against um, the president, I expect that we'll see pardons for them. I don't, I don't think he has um, the nerve to do that now. Um, but if he's reelected, I think that that's something that yeah. we 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 could look to see more probably than not.
1: Now, even you said that once that when you saw the sentencing recommendation, that uh, you thought it was a bit harsh. Explain that.
0: Well, I think generally speaking, uh, our sentences in the United States are way too long. I think the sentencing guidelines, that which is the system by which recommended sentences are calculated are just way too high, and that while the prosecutors were following those guidelines properly, I think those guidelines need to be revised by Congress. But what happened when the guidelines went into effect, each year, as members of Congress or the president wanted to be quote-unquote tough on crime... They got harder. They got harsher and harsher. And so when you think about what Stone did, there's nothing acceptable about it. But when you think... Is that nine years in prison worth of of time telling Randy Credico, you know, uh, both of these guys are buffoons in my estimation, <laughs> telling Randy Credico to behave like the godfather and making a lie to Congress that, you know, it's a lie technically for sure, but it's not like um, a horrible, you know, no good, terrible, horrible, you know, sort, <laughs> right. of, sort of lie. It's, you know, is a lie by... Um, misdirection, you know, you think, well, if you're going to go to jail for that, that's, you know, one, two years sort of thing, right. probation and and restitution if, you know, anyone was financially injured and um, some sort of community service, you know, that there are better ways to send examples well, than, than sending, you know, uh, however old he is, 70-something-year-old man... 67-year-old man, yeah. ...to, to jail for, for for nine years. I, I just... And I'll be interested to see how... Um, Amy Berman Jackson, the judge in the case, um, behaves in, in this case, whether she'll do a downward departure from that recommendation or, or, or not. Because she knows everything. She has read the unredacted Mueller report. She has listened in on the trial. She has read all of the discovery that the, the United States government got from Stone's um, computers and, and the like. And so she's really sort of in the best position Um, to make make a decision. Now, Amy and I um, uh, were young lawyers together in the D.C. Superior Court. I like her very much, and she's so smart. And um, I think she's a very fair-minded judge. Um, So, you know, if if she says this is 7 to 9, I'll still say it's a long sentence, but I trust her her judgment because she's seen way more than I've seen. Similarly, if she says this is 3 to 5, 2 to 4, um, I will not, you know, not feel blank. bad right. that the Roger Stone got away with something. <laughs> <Yeah>. You know,
1: <laughs> well. So the question.
0: <clears throat> remember, I wrote a piece for CNN.com. People can go read it um, a year or so ago, saying I thought that um, Manafort's sentence was too harsh.
1: Yeah, I remember that piece. I read it
0: because I think
1: that I hadn't thought of it that way until I read your piece.
0: Well, I'm glad that you read it. You, <laughs> yeah, you you and my mom. Yeah. <laughs> maybe the only two readers I've got. Well, my dog doesn't read. so <laughs> Problem. Try, try writing
1: for Playboy. <laughs> all those pa- oh, I'm not going to make that joke. <laughs> yeah, well, all those pages are stuck together under somebody's bed. Nobody ever reads those. But uh, that's I, I no. I read that piece and I remember that piece because I I had not thought of Manafort and what he did in that. Um, in that light until I read it. And it made sense. But the 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 question there will be afterwards if the um, if the sentence remains, if the judge says, all right, seven to nine and, and sticks him in jail for seven to nine, then they're going to say that that's a never Trumper uh, uh, um, judge and that that's, you know, what guided her in making that decision. And if she revises it downward from seven to nine and, you know, does two to four, three to five, then there are those who are going to say that Trump influenced her and that it wasn't it wasn't real. And what's scary to me is that, um, as you said, she knows the case better than us. We should trust her to do it. We're losing something if everything becomes a political decision in this country.
0: Well, or um, yes. And in addition... Even if it's not a political decision, even if the decision by main justice was that recommendation by this prosecutor um, was too harsh and we, like Zeldin here, think that it should be dialed back some, it's the appearance of interference that's the most, you know, uh, difficult part of this. Because if people continue to feel that the justice system is being corrupted by the President. Remember he calls FBI um, leaders, um, all sorts of terrible, yes. terrible names. and um, the same with the intelligence community. if if there's an appearance that's created that um, justice is no longer blind, that you know she's got only um, one eye covered and the one that's uncovered is looking to help those who are politically connected, that's again, that's one of these things that I say, Undermines sort yeah. of the democratic institutions upon which we were founded, and that will take a much longer time to to remedy. You know, for for example, if you're of the mind that climate change is real and the president's efforts to roll back environmental enforcement is 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 terrible. If you're of the mind that these trade agreements are in, in unfair to, to workers and they don't take account of environmental concerns. Um, all of those sort of policy decisions, you know, come four years or eight years or some number of years from now, assuming we still have time on the environmental clock, can be changed. What can't easily be changed, though, is sort of the cynicism or um, view that the system is just corrupt, Rig. rigged it, right. for the rich, and and um, that is what I worry about most. Is you know what what are how. I I don't understand, if you're a a teacher of history in in middle school, what are you telling your kids about what's going on here? How do you explain this consistent with, you know, the founding principles of our country? It's almost impossible, it seems to me, to explain it because it's so irrational.
1: Well, it... There is a rationality to it, or there is a logic to it, but not nothing, as you said, that is consistent with our founding principles. Right, and that's that's, that's my view. Yeah, and I, I, what scares me the most is how long it will take to overcome that particular mindset. It's you know, I was always taught, and I was brought up in a, in a family of lawyers. Every every person is equal in the eyes of the law, and it seems like. That's not the case today.
0: Well, it never really was the case. Of course, but But, but, it was was a nice (laughs) idea to have. It was a nice platitude, right. 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 I mean, for sure, the Justice Department, and, you know, it always makes me... We at least tried to aim for that. (laughs) that It was a good aspiration. But, you know, when you think about um, the rule of law, the rule of law, you know, the mantra that we hear over and over, the, the rule of law, you know, Interned Japanese. The rule of law, <laughs> yeah. you know, gave um, uh, us the Dred Scott, Scott decision. You know, yeah. the, the rule of law gave us Citizens United. So a lot of rules of law that I don't, you know, quite um, agree uh, with agree yet. with. But you had a a sense, generally speaking, that people were endeavoring to do the right thing. We might disagree on what the right thing is, but they were, as I called it, operating within the mainstream of constitutional um principles in this case I think we've gone off the rails in, in that respect and that's why I don't know what you teach kids when um, the president of the United States says uh, for example there are good sides on both in the Charlottesville um, rally how do you teach that you know how do you how do you say that the president how do you teach a middle school kid that really know you know what the president is not right there weren't two good sides to that Charlottesville... um, Right. Right. There was only one right side. But the president said it, you know, uh, teacher. Yes, well, but the president... And it's just a a conversation that um, I think has generational implications.
1: I want to read you something from uh, Robert Kennedy. Uh, And then I want to ask you a question. Bobby said, every time we turn our heads the other way, when we see the law flouted, when we tolerate what we know to be wrong... When we close our eyes and ears to the corrupt because we are too busy or too frightened, when we fail to speak up and speak out, we strike a blow against freedom, decency, and justice. And that's a quote from him. And um, I, I mentioned it to someone. They said, "Well, who cares what Bobby Kennedy said? He he was you know a womanizer and he was a pos that was involved with a mob." And I take what bothers me today is that people don't listen to the words or look at the words. They only. Interpret motive based on what they think they know of someone.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. well, um, those are those are wonderful, wonderful aspirational roles. I think uh, Bobby Kennedy was talking about it in terms of civil rights and, yes, and that's the denial exactly was, of yeah. um, uh, equal protection under law uh, uh, to uh, a large number of, of of people, and it has nothing to do with. Him as a womanizer, which I don't know whether he was or wasn't. Uh, his brother is reputed to have been, but I don't know anything about Bobby. Um, he has 13 kids or something, so I don't know when he had time. But um, and 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 he wasn't with the mob. He he prosecuted the mob. The mob, um, and some say that's what got his brother killed. So I mean, the notion that that you would take words from the the Dr. Kings, the Bobby Kennedys, the Uh, others, the Mother Teresas of the world that just say, just say, that speak to our, in Lincoln's words, better angels, and then say, well, yes, but this person was a this or this person was a that misses the entire forest for the trees.
1: I agree. And that's the other
0: thing, you know, can someone
1: have done something wrong in their life, but still be right? And, And do we do we just say, oh well, you know, he got caught speeding. So what's he? What's he? You know, who's he to talk about speeding?
0: Yeah. Well, we're in a we're in a, a state of affairs of you know destruction, reputational destruction. It's um, when when Vince Foster, who was White House Counsel under um, Bill Clinton, uh, killed himself, he basically said, you know, in his suicide note, that ruining people's reputation was a blood sport. In, in in DC in in, 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 yeah. in, in DC and um, it is, it has been, and it's getting worse, and it's being made worse by, in my estimation, the internet, internet, and people who are able to post things behind the face of a cat, uh, without any you know sort of marketplace of ideas responsibility for no accountability. For what they say, that's right, no accountability. It allows you know sort of the prerogative that. I can just go ahead anonymously and take shots at people and I think it's terrible
1: I do too well when we come back we'll have a few final thoughts we'll be right back and we're back and and Michael I can't End a segment with you without talking a little bit about rock and roll, and we got into something on Facebook the other night, and it and it made me uh, it made me come up with this question: What is your favorite rock lyric of all time?
0: Well, first we have to define um, rock and roll, rock lyrics, because if rock lyric includes the singer-songwriter generation, the the Bob Dylan's of the world, the um, my my, I think um, my favorite stanza is the last one in Mr. Tambourine Man. Just to dance beneath the diamond skies with one hand waving, free, silhouetted by the circus hands. That that yeah. that line to me is just great poetry and and great um, imagery. I I like
1: the Dylan. Uh, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but I I think I told you before. I I like. Um... Uh, Abe said, "Where you want this killing done? Out there on Highway 61." God, it's, I
0: mean, it's, it's, it's the, it's the opening verse of uh, of it's Highway
1: 61 uh, Revisited. It, it's right, and it's
0: Abraham. Um, God talking to, to, Abraham, to God, yeah, God about the, the 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 killing of Isaac. God, yeah,
1: God said to Abraham, "Kill me his son." Abe said, "Man, you must be putting me on." God said, "No." Abe said, "What? <laughs> you can avoid me, Abe, but if." Next time you see me, you better run," he right. said. "Okay, where do you want this killing done? Right. Out on right. Highway Sixty right. One. That's that's it, uh, It's just wonderful stuff. But, <laughs> but but
0: the but the the last um, stanza of Mister Tambourine Man for me is is just wonderful. I also um, like um, uh, particularly um, in my life the the John the, Lennon the John Lennon yeah. song. I think that. Um, that's just a wonderful song and the you notion know, that, that there, there are you know places I'll remember all my life, life but none of them essentially You're, compared to you and where, right. we, where we are I think it's just a lovely a lovely song
1: there's I, I, there's a bunch by Lennon that I like um, one by Harrison something in the way she moves
0: yeah.
1: and, you know out of something is a is a great line but Lennon there was um, his last album Beautiful Boy Close your eyes, have no fear. The monster's gone. He's on the run, and your daddy's here. Right. And as a when I was a father to young boys, that was that that just hit me in a way I I never thought it would. Oh
0: my God! He has start. You know, it's in that it says before you cross the street, the street, take my hand. Take
1: my hand. Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. Right. It, yeah. that, that gives me Poignant. goosebumps. Me too. Yeah. Given that he's you know and he died. Dead. Yeah, six months after that happened. After you recorded it
0: 1980 at December age 8th. 40
1: yeah I remember where I was then yeah me too where were you
0: million Al's pizza place on uh, 18th Street in, in Adams Morgan in DC
1: wow I was um I was working at a pizza place <laughs> that night in uh, Columbia Missouri and then I had to go and do my night shift at KcoU which was the uh, campus radio station and for those, you, Major Garrett from CBS, he and I both worked at that station at the same time. How fun is that? And um, I was, I had the, I had the 2 a.m. to 6 a.m. shift, and I played uh, Beatles music all night long. And I remember when the AP wire machine went off, and they, dec- I couldn't believe it, but it's, uh, you know, there was five bells, which back in the day, if you heard five bells on the AP, that meant like nuclear war. Uh, it was five bells, and it was John Lennon dying or being mm-hmm. shot and killed.
0: Mark David Chapman.
1: Yep, yep. For a bad signature. Yeah, right? Well, he had um, he had issues. He thought he, well, you know, he had major issues, but he thought he was John Lennon, and he couldn't couldn't handle John Lennon coming out of retirement.
0: But I thought as well that he had, Lennon had like signed an autograph for him in front of the Dakota, and then like week was before, and Lennon was coming back, and he was upset about the. I mean, anyway, you're he's, you think he's—you know—he was a mentally ill. Yeah, he was individual. mentally ill. It's yeah. just too bad he had a gun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's another issue.
0: <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and
1: you know, Lennon, that particular, he was one of the ones that gave us um, indirectly DACA, um, because he fought with the Nixon administration for uh, to stay in the United States. Yeah. 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 And for... that led to the Dreamers Act. And,
0: yeah. yeah. And the irony, of course, is that Lenin, who was a a generous man, also bought um, bulletproof vests for the New York City Police Department. Police Department, Department. yeah, yeah. Should have been wearing one. Yeah. God only knows, you know, uh, I I take this class at Georgetown University um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays with my wife on um, history of the United States from the mid-1800s to the mid-1900s, seen through the eyes of baseball. It's wonderful. Oh. It's a wonderful it's a wonderful class. But the teacher who is terrific, um, is a Civil War h- historian. And I said to her, um at a break, I said, So, if Lincoln's not assassinated or if um Andrew Johnson is not his mm-hmm. vice president, right. what does Reconstruction look like? And she said, like we we don't have enough time in in, 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 the, in the day, and and I and I think to myself that for me, you know, in in this part of our conversation, the the answer to the question of what would it have been if the Beatles, if John Lennon wasn't dead, dead would would yeah. McCartney and Lennon still composed music together? Would there have been a Beatles Part Two? And you know, I, I can't go there because well, the,
1: McCartney said that. There might have been that there was one part right before Lennon got killed where um, McCartney was over at the Dakota with Lennon and they were both watching Saturday Night Live. And um, the skit was about um, Henry Kissinger uh, who had brokered peace in the Middle East now took on his biggest role. And he had uh, Dan Aykroyd as Paul McCartney and John Belushi as John Lennon. And he said they're, he's bringing together McCartney and Lennon, and they shook hands. And uh, Lauren Michaels had said, look, uh, everybody's offering you hundreds of million dollars to play off you $1. fifty. Come together. <laughs> and he said uh, Lennon and McCartney were watching that on TV and almost got in the cab together and drove down to... To Forty Rock, and he said. Then they thought, Ah, what the hell? We'll just we'll have pizza and watch TV. So that would have been so, so wonderful. I know. There's a, a moment in history that could have been. Yeah, yeah. And and you wonder, you know, you wonder what he would think or say about today.
0: Well, I don't think he'd be very happy.
1: Well, remember there was talk about a rock song that uh, reverberates. This was in '71. So this is almost 50 years ago when he wrote, "Just give me some truth." I'm tired of hearing things from neurotic, uptight, uh, right. and narrow-minded hypocrites. All I want is some truth. And that, I think, plays well today.
0: Yeah, so does um, all we are saying is give peace a chance. Give peace a, chance. a chance. Yeah, oh, yeah.
1: yeah uh, that would be nice. Just
0: we've never really tried that. <laughs> no, we've not had a, a, a left-leaning president, and we've not given peace a chance. So no. who knows? Maybe. <laughs> so what do you got? Maybe, rock, rock, maybe,
1: rock and maybe. roll, baby. What do you got? Maybe uh,
0: so. I was thinking because you're you sing in a band, and there is that rumor. <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it is a true statement that I make. <laughs> yeah, um, and I always wondered since I can't uh, carry a tune, not even literally on a radio. I can, um, <laughs> if you could have, and and you're singing in your style, which is right. um, in you know, sort of rock and rock and roll, generally. And, yeah, um, you're not going to be. The answer to your quest, to my question, can't be Pavarotti because okay, you're not. Okay. opera. I always wonder when there are singers out there. Do they think to themselves, "If only I could sing like, or if I could wave a magic wand and have the voice of whose voice w- would I have? You know, would I would I want to be? you know, George Thorogood or what I want, what I want to be <laughs> on the that I was born, <laughs> <laughs> you know, or, or, or what I want to, you know, want to be Paul McCartney, you know, who would I, who, who would I want to,
1: just right. 17? I think for me, it's, um, I, I wish I could hit a, maybe a note that I can't hit. Cause you know, everyone has a, nobody has, you know, like Freddie Mercury's range. Right. And, <clears throat> You... Well, this is the reason actually. It's <laughs> yeah. funny that you
0: say that because I was, I was watching, um, the li- Live Aid. Um, yeah, and and I just marvel at at, at Freddie
1: Mercury's it's range. Range. I, it, to me, that yeah. I don't want to sing like anyone else. I wish I had a wider range. I mean, I can hit you know, and there's falsetto that you can hit certain notes in, like if you want to do ACDC or, or you know, even some of the Beatles. <laughs> hit, woo, you know that right. stuff, but. I, I, you could a be Little Richard. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't. <laughs> but the ability, you know, and that's funny that you say that because McCartney said that was who influenced him to do the scream was right. Little Richard. Right. They played on the same venue. But um, just the idea of widening my range a little bit so I could hit and do different songs that I don't do that I like. Mm-hmm. But I don't ever want to be any, I don't want to have anybody else's voice. And I'm sure they don't want mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, they certainly don't want mine. I'm sure between the two of us, yours is the one that's getting
0: chosen. Yeah.
1: Well, but there is a certain freedom in singing that is is great. And, and if you can get people up and dancing and enjoying themselves as a singer, man, that's that's what nails it. That's yeah, that's yeah. what makes it fun.
0: Yeah. Well next life.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I do that in this life so I can stay sane. <laughs> yeah, well, you you need something to keep yeah, you sane right. given where you work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we won't even go into that. So, <laughs> listen Michael, I appreciate you coming and once again and you got to come back cuz it's always fun. Anytime. <laughs> okay. The name of the show is Just Ask the Question. Thanks for joining us. I am your host Brian Karam. We'll catch you next time.